Welcome to a special bonus episode of Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is Public Power's premier infotainment program that covers public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. I'm Paul Dockery, the creative director of Public Power Underground and manager of the power department for Klatskin IPUD. In Season 3, Episode 9 of Public Power Underground, we shared a sneak preview into a fun and informative conversation with Scott Coe, the retiring general manager of Emerald PUD and a longtime insider at BPA. In this bonus episode, you get the full, though slightly edited, conversation with Matt Shretnick, Scott Coe, and myself. We cover a wide variety of topics, including what it's like to be a boomer leading millennials, the importance of expanding workforce at electric utilities, vanity license plates, and car washing. It's all great fun. Uh, But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Efficiency Services Group. The folks at ESG are electric utility enthusiasts like us, and we appreciate their help in making this show possible. ESG specializes in working with electric utilities to develop real solutions to meet their specific needs. So if you're looking for a true partner to help implement energy... Man, I kind of work on my cold reads here. Okay, we're done. So if you're looking for a true utility partner to help you implement energy efficiency programs learn about esg story at efficiencyservicesgroup.com you get that that was a better read we're going to keep keep improving this we got esg we'll keep doing it that's efficiencyservicesgroup.com we do need a special promo we need like a hashtag underground so if you could work on that esg that'd be great we'd really like that our own like hashtag or like if you got a promo code underground promo code underground they're a returning sponsor of public power underground and they're electric utility enthusiasts like us and now the conversation with matt and scott scott co welcome to public power underground thanks so much for joining us hey thanks for the invitation glad to be here (laughs) i love it i love it um so so diving right in um it's Probably been about 12 years since you and I met, maybe 13 years. We used to work together at uh, Bonneville Power Administration. It feels weird saying it was 13 years ago, um, but we'll just uh, we'll glaze over that and move on. You were there for quite some time um, before before moving on into, into your current position. Um, I have to imagine you've got a story or two to share. Yeah, I do, Matt. Uh, first off, you'll notice I wore my Bonneville Power shirt back from my days of managing power scheduling. I just thought it'd be a special exactly shirt. Exactly what made me think of that. So Yeah, there you go. That's my cues for you, and hopefully you have good cues for me. You know, a couple of them, uh, I worked with some great people at Bonneville, and a lot of them are still there, and they're doing great work. But uh, some of them were real characters, and two of the characters were also named Scott, and we build ourselves as the three Scots. And we used to do little kind of videos for all staff meetings or for management, management meetings. And those three Scots were myself, Scott Sims, and Scott Wilson. And, of course, Scott Sims was up in uh, – public relations, uh, you know, communications. And he used to rope the other two Scots into various things. And one of the funnier ones that Scott Sims and I did, we had to do a little video for a manager's meeting. And we decided we were going to do it from the administrator's office. And we got up there. His secretary was really a tough... I loved her. I loved her. But she told me that her feedback from Steve Wright every every quarter was, you need to not be so harsh on people that come up to see me because you're scaring them away. And she did. She was. She kept people from coming in that shouldn't be there. Anyway, Scott Sims go and I do, go inside his office to do this video. And uh, she said, she told us, don't you mess anything up. We're like, yeah, we won't. We go in, we broke his chair. 
And so Scott Sims and I are trying to figure out who's going to go out and tell Nikki that we just broken uh, the administrator's chair. And thankfully, she left for some reason, and so did we. I'm smart. <laughs> Uh, but on a more serious note, some of the other things that happened, one of the, uh, I had power scheduling from 2000 till 2007. And so a lot happened then the West coast energy crisis happened. My group not only mm-hmm. did the scheduling, we also did the invoicing. And in 2001, where we typically invoiced about a billion seven of, uh, power trades on both sides, we invoiced $5.7 billion worth of trades. And there was a lot of action that year. And one of the big actions was Enron went bankrupt. And there Mm -hmm. might be a lot of people out there that don't remember those days, but us longer term folks remember the day Enron went bankrupt. And I was at work and I was out on the scheduling floor and one of my people had noticed it come up on a news feed. And I went over to my invoicing person. I said, where are we? Because it was right at the start of the month where we're doing invoicing. I said, where are we on the invoicing? And Jane uh, Bradabo says to me, "Uh, we uh, have that data down at finance uh, to pay them. And back in the day, we were told we couldn't net the bill. And that month, it was something like we owed them 17 million and they owed us 13 million. And those transactions were going to happen separately, which meant if we paid the 17 million and they didn't pay the 13 million, we just got screwed. So I said to Jane, who processes that electronic funds thing? And so she says, let's go down to second floor. We go down to second floor finance and she goes to the cubicle, the guy that makes that electronic thing happen, right? And, uh, it's 1.30 in the afternoon, so you got to know what's happening. He's asleep. And Jane, he's asleep. He's sound asleep. And Jane is such a sweetie. Jane is such a sweetie. She's just the nicest person and capable. And she goes, oh, we can't wake him up. I go, like hell we can't wake him up. We got 17 million bucks riding here. So we wake the guy up, and he tells me, yeah, that's on a big spool down in San Francisco, and there's probably like five or six billion dollars on that spool, and they are not going to go in and pluck out that seventeen million dollars. It's going to happen. You say impossible, but all I hear is I'm the, possible. The end of the story is Enron did actually pay us the thirteen million, and then they continued to pay their bills through the bankruptcy. And uh, getting back to the Scotts, Scott Wilson, who actually had a very serious side of business at uh, Bonneville, was the one tasked with unwinding the three hundred million dollar book that Bonneville had with Enron at that point in time. It was it was the biggest book we had at the time. So good for Scott Wilson. That was some of the fun we had at Bonneville. <laughs> I don't know. I, we had the, so I don't know I if appreciate a laugh the sound a effect there. Well, you, you, well, you, well, you well, stumped well, me there, Scott. <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. That might not that might not be the first time. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly sounds like Bonneville stories, and you must have lots of them. I, I, uh, I'm a little self-conscious. You two been at Bonneville. It seems like maybe to be a leader in public power, you got to work at Bonneville. I feel a little left out. I've never worked at Bonneville. Paul, it's not too well, late. They got plenty of jobs opening. You do. Maybe it's too late. No, it's maybe not it's too late. late. You go take a, Go do a three-year stint. Three-year internship. Maybe we'll talk about that later. That joke's coming out. Paul, why don't you go to Bonneville and help them write these contracts that we need? That does sound like fun. We'll we'll, we'll have a plant at Bonneville this time instead of the other way around. There you go. Um, well, obviously, you don't need to be a uh, you don't need to be from Bonneville 
to be a leader in public power. So um, kind of moving on to you know more recent events here. So uh, I actually attended a panel moderated by Mr. Paul Dockery uh, on the next generation workforce and uh, leadership in uh, in this next generation. And I, I, I found it super compelling. Um, now you, Scott, you started your career under the quote unquote greatest generation. Um, you rose to leadership amongst other boomers and you've led organizations with all sorts of uh, uh, I guess the the designated generations. You've got Gen X, Millennials, potentially even Zoomers. Um, I didn't see any here today, but uh, there may very well be some around. Um, what have you learned about about people, regardless of generation, that will help Paul and I, as uh, uh, I guess uh, aspiring future leaders, cope with a wide range of uh, attitudes and aptitudes uh, going forward? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Thanks. I think that. Um... I don't think any of us changed over all these generations, but what is changing right now is the workforce dynamic where the worker is king and the workforce employer needs them. And it's going to be hard to find enough of them. And the ones, the, the workforces that will succeed are the ones that are going to make their workforce the place people want to be. And that's going to be a lot of things. And I think we learned some of that through COVID-19 about how you could pivot and have people work from home. And those lessons need to be carried forward for all of our workforce. And it's the balance between work and home. And I've always been a big advocate of that. I've been really fortunate at Bonneville and here to have bosses that support that balance because none of us are getting out of this life alive. And we might as well have a good time while we're doing it. And that includes at work. And my, my basic philosophy at, at the workplace um, came from Fred Meyer. And for those of you that aren't old enough, there used to be a guy named Fred Meyer, and actually he put on the new employee orientation when I went to work for Fred Meyer. And uh, he taught me what not to do. And everything Fred did was about the employer and nothing about the employee. And if you're an employer and you don't think about what you're doing for your employee, you're going to be the employer of last choice, and you're going to have the C team working for you. And you might even be paying more money and getting less productivity with that C team. So you got to think about how you're going to engage those employees at any generational level to be the uh, employee that you want and that wants you. I think that's exactly right. I, I think I missed that thread, though. What was Fred Meyer teaching you? Was he teaching you how to be a good servant of Fred Meyer? Is that what is that what you said? I think, yes. Or was it the other way around? Fred, Fred, are you saying that Fred Meyer was wrong, completely wrong, and that we should do the opposite of what Fred Meyer taught you? Because that's where I thought you were going. I think Fred Meyer taught great <laughs> customer service uh, ethics. He was terrible to his employees. The organization okay. was terrible to their employees. And what I saw happening, and I was in management at Fred Meyer at a very young age, 19 years old. And what I saw was Fred Meyer's employees ripped him off because he didn't treat them right. Yeah, maybe that's a sign. If you can rise to management at 19, maybe that's a sign that you maybe aren't grooming and mentoring good leaders and maintaining good leaders. Is yeah. that a takeaway I would take from that, Scott? Or were you just outstanding at a young age to the point where you were you were just the best of all of the middle management? I'd like to suggest it I could be both. It could be. Both. I would That's like true. to suggest none of the above. I don't think I've been outstanding ever. I think I think I have worked with outstanding people, and I think I've been able to tap into outstanding people. But I don't think I've ever been outstanding. Certainly not a Fred Meyer. And I think uh, part of the Fred Meyer story was they did churn through a lot of employees, and uh, I call that a body shop. 
And I see you see that in a lot of um, industries today. Um, nursing homes are a great one. I've been thinking a lot about that as I'm reaching this age. <laughs> and uh, that's dark. Yeah. That's dark. <laughs> I love. I but you know, fortunately. Fortunately, funeral, funeral homes aren't that way. Funeral homes are pretty stable. So when I get to that okay. point, I'm pretty comfortable I'm going to get well taken care of. But at the nursing home level, I'm a little concerned about it. And I think that as all of us in this industry uh, recognize that we're going to be falling short of the number of employees lining up for every vacancy we put out, we're starting to see that ourselves, that when we put out vacancies, we're getting fewer numbers of qualified applicants. And so we better darn well be the employer they want to work for because uh, they've got options. Yeah, I think of it as recruiting. Like we need to recruit people instead of just trying yep. to uh, yep. choose people. We got to learn to recruit. Go ahead, Matt. You were gonna well, chime you in recruit. Too. You recruit early on too, right? That that that's one of those things. You start talking to people when you know um, late high school and and uh, uh, early college. You don't wait for you know, uh, hiring somebody that's established in their career, because at that point, to the extent that you need someone, um, uh, you, you're not growing the workforce. That's a perfect sequitur, actually. The next the, the next question I was hoping to ask you, Scott, so at that same panel, going back to the, the leadership panel that that, uh, that Paul was um, Paul was leading, um, We've got a there's a there's a number there's a data point that's been been sticking out in my mind. We've got industry experts uh, telling us right now that we're going to need about a million more electricians and at least a million more HVAC technicians to enable the electrification transformation we need to see over the next 30 years. Uh, that's going to take a massive uh, ramping up of all workforce um, or of the entire work th- workforce across several industries, right? And so, as I was saying earlier, you got to you got to start young. You can't just expect it to be in place in 30 years. Uh, so, Scott. Are we ready to, to not just replace what we have today, but expand the workforce? And if not, what do we do? Uh, great question. I think that the employers that uh, expand their workforce are the ones that are going to succeed. And what we've been doing here at Emerald is expanding our workforce. So I've been here nine years, and we are now uh, processing through our eighth and ninth apprentices. And for a, 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 for a utility of our size, that's pretty outstanding to have nine apprentices. We actually had five at one point because um, we didn't do any the first couple of years I was here until I realized that um, going out and hiring in the workforce, you're just going to be competing and you're going to be frustrated. And so a couple of things was when we put together our 2015 strategic plan, part of it was, well, what are we giving to our community, right? Because we're public power. We should be given back to our mm-hmm. community. So one of the things we give back to our community is access to good jobs because this industry plays, pays really well at all levels. So we started really getting more focused about how do we recruit, how do we grow the talent in the footprint of our, our service territory. And so we started doing apprenticeships. We do ride-alongs. Ride-alongs aren't just out, out in the field in a vehicle. They can ride along inside. We've had energy efficiency ride-alongs. Uh, even had a GM ride-along. I think that person probably chose a different field. Um, But at any rate, I think that utilities, each and every one of us need to be growing the workforce and um, supporting education for those people that need to go off and get a more formalized education, doing apprenticeships for the people that can work through an apprenticeship. And we should each do our part to grow grow our our part of the business. Uh, Personally, my son was an electrical engineer. I put the screws to him to try and get into the utility business. He really rejected me. He's a loser, you know, really a loser. 
He was uh, 21 when he, he finally graduated with his master's in electrical engineering. And so he went off to some startup company and, you know, they're barely making it. SpaceX. We'll see. We'll see what comes of that. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. That loser is at some you know, just loser company like SpaceX. Yeah. Uh, I want to follow up. One of the things you mentioned, and I, I be, and I think there is sometimes some mis we miscommunicate uh, at, at public power. But you mentioned we actually are very competitive across the positions at our utilities for salary and for benefits, and that can be a good value to our community. I've heard some other people in our industry mention that we can't compete on value of like on pay with IOUs. I've always, I've found that to be inaccurate. Um, what's your take on that, Scott? I mean, to me, it's really important to message that correctly um, so that you can actually get good young professionals in, in the seats. I think everything from maybe mid-management below we're every bit as competitive as uh, the investor-owned utilities. I think where the pay, the pay gap happens, and that's true with Bonneville too, right? It's true with Bonneville and it's true with us consumer-owned utilities. When you get to the higher levels, then the paychecks get astronomical out there in IOU land, and that's where we aren't competitive. Um, I, you know, personally, I, the, the, I, I have enjoyed the quality of my interaction in my job with our customers, with our employees, with our constituency, and, and maybe that would happen at a larger IOU. I've never worked there, so I can't say it wouldn't. But um, I have found this entire career path to be incredibly rewarding. And I wouldn't change it for anything, uh, and certainly not for chasing the big dollar paychecks at some of those IOUs that really only a handful of people actually get. You go and look in uh, you know, the bulletin, the Northwest Public Power Association bulletin, and all of our jobs are posted there, and they have some IOU equivalent jobs in there from time to time. And we're spot on uh, with pay, and I would I would argue that our our um, our value to our employees is more rewarding as a career, working closer with our customers than just being a a cog in the wheel of a large corporation. This is, yeah, this is exactly what I, can, I said. I can to actually Paul. get you some applause. There you go. There Perfect. it is. Thank There's the applause. Uh, yeah. There it is. And timed properly this time. Um, I, I yeah, said the same thing to Paul when we were. That's yeah, okay. Um, the work in progress. Uh, recognizing that value is not just monetary. Um, when when I when I had a similar um, epiphany, probably isn't the right word, but came to a similar uh, conclusion um, and decided on the career path that I'm on now, and I'm grateful for it. It, it that was part of it. The idea being. It's not just about the, you know, the bottom line. It's also about the work and the people. Um, and, you know, the, the, the benefits uh, across the board are not just, you know, medical, dental and uh, retirement, but also the benefits of, you know, a viable community. Um, and I don't know, sounding cliched at this point, but uh, all of that to say I agree. Yeah, uh, mission, mission driven work. But, you know, we drive to complete a mission to service to our customers. I find I, that's incredibly important. Uh, uh, for for people that want to do good work with their lives. Yeah, I think, you know, a good example, Matt and I actually just did a field visit here at our utility out to uh, uh, part of our region, and uh, it was a tree crew, and I, uh, Matt and I and one of the tree crew guys did a little drive around, check out the work they were doing and what they were up to, and I mentioned to 
uh, my tree foreman that uh, a certain customer had moved away and he was he was heartbroken you know we, and we not only that the gm you know i knew her and she knew us and she had sent me a note and said hey i'm moving away you guys have been great and i specifically want to call out your tree guys and the line guys and she used the names and um we're connected to our community and maybe some ious have that but i got to tell you i see that across the board in public power that we are smaller entities and we know our customers and we see our customers and we relate to our customers and in most cases we are our customers you know, about 40% of our employees are actually EPUD customers. A few of them are eWeb customers. You know, I hear about that because they whine about the high bills and whatnot. But, you know, it's a better quality. I think, you know, better quality. Yeah, exactly. But, it's you know, it's a better service. They're, they're paying for a higher quality service is what it is. That's it. <laughs> Good one, Matt. Good one. That, that, Good one. that almost sounded uh, sarcastic there, Paul. Yeah, no, it's my bad. I'm uh, looking forward, uh, Matt. I'm looking forward to the report out when Frank watches this to see what he has to say about that. Don't don't edit that out, Paul. I won't. I won't. Don't worry. It'll be it'll be left in. Uh, I do want to get back to this uh, talking about workforce and growing your workforce because there's two aspects here. One of them is you know trying to have entry-level positions where you can train your own and then grow them into positions. The, act, the other one is expanding workforce. And do, what do you think about this concept that if we are electrifying a big swath of our economy, that it's going to take more utility workers? Are you, do you see out there after you retire and you don't have to worry about convincing your board, you know, a need to actually increase the number of linemen, increase the, the number of bodies employed by the utility. Is that, is that real? I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, this is going to sound a little kiss-assy, but I, my board has been incredibly supportive over the nine years. When I started here, we had 16 linemen. We have 23 now. We have grown the, uh, we have grown the number of customers, but not proportionally the same amount. And one of the goals I had when I got here was to get more of our employees uh, actually at the front line doing the work that our customers want done. And that's tree trimming. We've grown that program. We've grown the lineman program. We're, we're able to be more responsive more quickly because we have more linemen and we're putting more into um, upgrading our system to improve reliability. And I think that, that um, we started doing that in 2015, and it was incredibly fortunate that we started improving reliability to our customers. And in a rural area, it's not the same as in an urban area. You know, you, you urban utilities have it so good. You know, we got these long lines that go out 15 miles and one tree takes it out and you lose the whole uh, feeder. And so it's been important to get out there and do more tree trimming and, and have linemen uh, upgrading the system with stronger wire and, and poles that aren't rotting and falling over in the first windstorm. And my board's been very supportive of that. But we moved a lot of people, uh, a lot of FTE into more front-facing positions. And I see more of that coming. 5G is coming. We've got a tremendous workload in rural America with 5G attachments on every other pole. You know, that's going to be in 15,000 poles for us. And that's a tremendous amount of work. So I think positioning ourselves for the changing utility, uh, if you don't have a strategic plan in place that's looking ahead at what's coming, uh, you need to get one in place and you need to start executing on it. And we've been fortunate that we, uh, you know, strategic plans are a problem, right? You might be right about what's coming and you might not. And hopefully, 
you know, you do enough of it, you get some of it right. And our 2015 and our 2020 strategic plans both seem to have hit the money on what was coming. And who would have known a pandemic was coming and that rural America would be working in their homes instead of driving into e-web service territory and working in an office building, right? So we've been, well, I mean, that's the way it's been. People drive yeah. into the urban core and work in, in office buildings. And now they're working from home, even, even in urban areas, but in the rural area where reliability can tend to be a little lower, uh, that gap is a bigger deal than it is in an urban setting. And so yep. we've closed yep. that gap on reliability. And I think that served us well through the pandemic. That's the Mike Tyson line, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> there we go. Got Thank you. That's better, Paul. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, I'm working it. Paul, so, you're a little bit, uh, Paul, you're a little bit slow on the... Uh, the I am. It's because I'm focusing on y'all, okay? Sometimes, you know, is... you got to focus on what's happening, and then you think afterwards, oh, he said something. I processed it. That's my processing time, Scott. I am a little slower than y'all. Okay. Your, C- your CPU I mean, we just talked slow. about the importance of staffing up. Yep. Right? Yeah. You just... Yeah. You need... Any more backup here, that's all I'm saying. I could have had Lou uh, on to help do this, too. So, Scott, you're retiring. You're retiring at the end of the year. You're riding off into the sunset. You're done. You're done with public power, except for maybe causing problems down in Tillamook, I hear, uh, as a customer this time around. But um, Hopefully, you know, hopefully before, as a customer we, and a board member. Oh, man. Oh. Poor Is that a thing you're going to do now? <laughs> Is that a thing you're going to do? <laughs> Um, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to be on the other side of that table for a while. I, you hey. know, I, I may, I may call in for those just cause <laughs> I have to imagine that would be interesting. Um, so, you, you know, we've got some, we do have some lightning round questions that we want to get to, but I wanted to give, you know, I wanted to ask the question before, before you take that ride into the sunset, do you have one piece of advice that you'd like to leave us with here or leave all of public power with, I should say. Oh, I don't know if I have anything that important to say. I'd just say after 34 years in this business, uh, uh, as I've gone through my career, it just seems like, uh, oh my goodness, how are we going to get through this? Oh, what are they throwing at us now? What? Oh, how? how is this going to work out? Frankly, in 2007, when Mark Gendron came down into the belly of the USS Bonneville and asked me if I wanted to manage the account executives as we went through the process of signing the regional dialogue contracts, and I was down in the belly of the beast just kind of keeping power scheduling going, I put my list together of why I would want to move upstairs to that job and as opposed to stay in the job I was at. And actually, one of the bigger deals was there was a huge amount of wind coming on the system. And all of us in power scheduling are like, this is going to crash the grid. And, and I guess my message to public power and the industry is, uh, I think our workforce is so smart. And we have got immensely brilliant people working in every, every part of the business that figures these things out. I, I worry that our policymakers are changing the game quicker than we can change the physical setup of the system to, to meet that policy change. But uh, I have the greatest of faith that, uh, that I'm leaving behind a workforce in uh, Bonneville and at eWeb at uh, Klatskanai, at Emerald, for sure, uh, that is going to rise to those challenges and take care of our customers. I have no doubt about it. 
you know, I feel like we should stop there, but I don't want to, you know, because that would be a, that would be a great place to leave it. Um, it would but be. we do have some very important questions to ask you, and I appreciate I appreciate the response um, for a whole lot of reasons, obviously. So uh, I, I already mentioned this. We're gonna we're gonna finish up with some lightning round questions, and then Paul's gonna start, um, and and we'll 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 kind of take turns attacking you here. Uh, now, Scott, you're on the clock. Paul, take it away. Is seasonal time change the worst public policy you know of? No, I know. Maybe the worst public policy is not having term limits. Over the uh, line. That's huh? okay. I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the okay. line. This okay. time. You're up, Matt. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I gotta ask you about the coolest vanity license plate you ever had, Scott. <laughs> so, people who know me know I've been a real estate investor for 40 years, and. Uh, I, I am not a slumlord. In fact, I just bought a duplex here in Springfield, and the first thing I did was put in heat pump water heaters and ductless heating units and a new Bosch dishwasher. So I'm not a slumlord, but one of my buddies called me a slumlord, and I, I took it on myself to get a vanity plate that is SLM uh, space LRD. And when I worked at Bonneville, I was parked in the basement one time, and one of my fellow managers in my work group didn't know it was my vehicle and says to me, some asshole downstairs has a slumlord license plate. <laughs> and I looked at him, I go, hey, that asshole's me. Uh, okay, when's the last time you used pivot tables or VLOOKUPs in Excel? Okay, what's Excel? Yeah, exactly. Yes, I knew it, it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. That's the right answer. Is that one of those new things, like from uh, from the Alphabet Company, Google people? What? Who does? It's an what's app. An ec- it's an app. It's an app. It's, it's an, an app. app. Okay. Next. Yeah. Pinky ring. You still wear your great uncle's pinky ring, and you still bang it on the table when you need to get people's attention? Uh, no. You know, I uh, I quit. Ri- <laughs> I think that'll probably get cut. <laughs> Sorry, when when did you realize that outlets were the future of electric vehicle public charging programs? Excellent question. It was when I bought an EV three years ago, and I got so frustrated. I got so frustrated with the DC fast chargers in Portland. I started using my 120 in my garage in Portland to plug in until I finally got wired for a, a level two. But yeah, I used I used my level one for quite a while. That's the right answer. How many, uh, hey, how many times are you fired from your current position? Oh, okay. I'll okay, retract the question. Gonna, we got so plenty of time. Take all the time you want on outlets as electric vehicle public charging infrastructure. All the time you want, Scott. Please keep going. Keep I'm going to add something to the EV thing. Um, yeah, we have, we're gonna, we'll turn it off. They're not on the clock anymore. You can take as much time as you want. We have 80 employees at Emerald, and we have 15 that drive EVs. And I would, I would uh, cool. speculate that we may have the highest percentage of the workforce driving an EV of any place. And the big game changer, the, you know, the, 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 the thing that doesn't work for EVs is that whole charging infrastructure that isn't where we need it to be yet. But one of the things we did was put in 10 chargers here at work. We're out there putting in chargers in all of our high schools in our service territory. And after we do that, we're going to start um, doing a bidding war with some businesses to put in um, level two charging at some uh, businesses that bid in and we will pay for it. But they got to tell us the compelling reason why we should put it at their business because we have limited funds. We're not going to do it at every business. They'll have to prove to us why it's a good business bet for us to put it at their business. But EV infrastructure charging needs to get much better for us to move the needle on EV ownership. If you're just driving around town, you really can do it on your outlet. You really can. I did it. 
uh, in Portland. But uh, I if still you, do if, it. You're, if you're doing a up and down I-5 to Portland from Eugene like I do, you do need level two. And once you get that established, you really, unless you're going on a long trip, you don't need a DC. I rarely use a DC fast charge. Uh, but again, we put in, in infrastructure here at work, and that was when people started buying EVs here at work. And like I said, 15 out of 80, I suspect we probably have the highest percentage of people commuting in EVs. Uh, Matt, how many yeah. people, Matt, how many people over at eWeb have an EV? You know, I, I know where the spreadsheet is that would allow me to answer the question. Off the top of my head, I'm not entirely certain. I can think of five, uh, and I have to imagine there's more than that, um, but I do not know the number. So you, you know might, what the, the you, might, might, you know that eWeb might be at one percent. We are at almost twenty percent. Yeah, we're only at fourteen percent here at Klotzkin IPUD. And that would be uh, you. We'll ask the questions here, you Scott. Are the okay? We'll ask the questions. Person, no, there's like four others. <laughs> there's five of us. It's not. It's not just me. Okay. I, it's not just me. Okay. You know the terrible thing that eWeb does, and I assume Frank's going to listen to this. So now he's going to hear it from me too. They give away the charging for free. You know the the thing we shouldn't do is give away the thing we sell for free. That's my perspective. That's my perspective. You don't give it away for free, do you, Scott? You do, don't you? Yep. Oh, I can tell. Not a look chance. In your eyes. Not a chance. Look in your eyes. Okay. Nope. In fact, I'll tell yeah. you what the the uh, the employee parking lot charging uh, was on a credit card thing, and we just went to a flat rate because we had too many problems with that. So when flat we went rate. to the flat rate, our our person in charge of that sends me an email, and I'm I'm behind i'm back where we park all our rigs and i have a charger at my gm parking spot next to our pool cars that are evs and i pay a flat fee and we just calculated what's the appropriate and so i pay 130 bucks a year well so then the board approved a new flat rate for the other chargers and for out at the um, high schools and the other eb infrastructure and it's ten dollars a month well you know you always need to be questioned before you ask a question make sure you know what the answer is so one of the little upstairs sends me an email and says hey you need to start paying for your ev charging down there at your custom gm parking spot and i said to him go to hell <laughs> and he replies back hey don't be such a cheap ass and i said i'll tell you what i'm paying more than the new approved rate and i want a refund and he says oh that's going to look real good on the next uh, board agenda uh gm <laughs> wants a ten dollar refund for his 12 months of EV charging. And I said, I want the 10 bucks, buddy. I, I really like this employee you have. And you are obviously fostering a very good culture of accountability at Emerald PUD. Uh, Kyle is inheriting a very accountable organization. That's great. Ours is $23 a month. And I want to I want to push you on one thing, Scott. You aren't recovering your demand. And you need to recover your demand. I'm telling you, you got to recover your demand on EV charging. It needs to be a separate component of your bill because the one thing that is the most valuable when it comes to EV charging is how fast it happens. And if you don't put a price to it, you are under-recovering. It's sending the wrong price signal. We believe in supporting the expansion of EV adoption, and we're afraid that will slow it down. We think any utility that's short-sighted should just get out of the business. That is absolute. I can't curse, but uh, let's beep. Beep. Hey, hey. We, we set our rates. It's very competitive. We don't establish, we don't do a monthly demand charge for all of this. It's a per chart, per instance demand charge. And it's levelized over uh, the whole month, and we assume it's a full adoption rate. These are very compelling rates. $20 a month. You're telling me you won't charge your EV for $20 a month? 
It's a very compelling $23 rate. Twenty three dollars a month. Twenty. It's like probably twenty seven at this point. I do increase the rates uh, because we want to make sure that we are recovering the full cost. Because I tell you what, one thing in rural America, you do not want the narrative that you're subsidizing EV charging. I agree. Uh, I agree you don't with want that, that out there. Yep. I you don't want that out there. Subsidies are and, bad. Yep. And we are not. It's a very compelling rate that is not subsidized by our other customers. Okay. Should we go back on the clock, sure. Matt? I think you're certainly tired of glad we covered that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I feel like it's it, you know turned into just eweb bashing there. We're the only ones yeah, really I mean, doing the right bit. thing, which is to say, no, you know, giving it away actually, for free is not the right thing. Wait a minute, I just I, bashed, we're, we're I just moving away from Paul. that. I just, yeah, yeah, I just bashed Paul, so I think it's equal this time. Uh, this, this time, time. You've, you've already you've already gotten me in trouble. I'm sure of it. Look at that. See, it's a matter this of the is how conservative they are. Um, they turn the lights off even when he's in the room. Um, speaking of turning the lights off on you, how many times were you fired from this position, Scott? You mean so far? So far. So far. There is still time. Just once. They've, well, they've got two GMs now, so at least it's not that big of a problem. If you. <laughs> That's right. Just <laughs> once. Just once. Okay, Scott just Wilson the, wants just to once. know. Are we on to the next one? Was it just once? I actually have no idea. It's the only once that I'm aware of, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so far. Okay. Trust me, once, once is enough. <laughs> you learn a lot. <laughs> the rehiring is well a little awkward, I assume, yeah. after that. Okay. Okay, Scott Wilson sent a question in. It's rumored that you often spend time in sunny climates, and yet you have no tan lines. Care to comment? I'd kind of be curious how why Scott Wilson knows that and why he cares. Okay. Matt, you got one? I do like the attribution. Just so you know, this is Scott asking this question, not us. Um, so uh, it's my understanding that uh, uh, your team here will wash your cars. Um, what are you going to do after you retire? You know, that's a great question. It's actually one of the things that's causing me the greatest anxiety is all the things in my life I'm going to have to start doing myself. And so they've actually put together a whole schedule of how they're going to retrain me for reintroduction into having to take care of my own personal needs. Um, it's very kind and caring is, of them. It is. That is exceptionally generous of your team. Um, that's very good of them. I wonder if that'll continue even after you retire or whether the, they're just telling you that. They told me I can call in for a <laughs> tutorial when I can't figure something out, like, you know, how do you yeah. get the whole car away without leaving a big blotch? And then, and then they block your phone. Yep. That would be harsh. Yep. What's Excel? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. What does Co know? You know, I just really don't know that much, but I surround myself by a lot of people that know a lot of stuff. But uh, someone made me those stickers, and uh, people can oh. people can earn those stickers Some. here at work. And uh, when, made, when I'm right, when I'm made, right, I make a big deal them. out of it by giving a sticker to that employee that has finally caught me being correct for a change. Yeah, someone made them. That's great. That's a great clarification. That's great. <laughs> To, well, Paul, as I'm sure you can appreciate, to, to, there's no way I could figure out how to make those myself. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but it is fair. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to ask a question. It is my my prerogative as the creative director of Public Power Underground to ask a question that I think we probably should have started with. I think we were all on that peanut call last week. It was a great presentation by another Paul, whose last name is escaping me. But he said to start meetings with, uh, what's going well? So what's going well, Scott? What's going well for you? What's going well for me personally? Yeah, or just well. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm approaching retirement, and I've got to say I have been incredibly fortunate in my 34 years in public power to have great bosses. Uh, 24 years at Bonneville, I always had interesting work with really supportive bosses and a great team to work with. Same with here at Emerald. Uh, it's been a great run here. Uh, Kyle, who's taken over behind me, is very fortunate to have a really solid board. Uh, it's been challenging at times here with some board dynamics, but we've got a great board in place right now. That's going well. And the other thing, I feel great uh, hitting retirement, feeling healthy, and still running 15 to 20 marathons a year. That's a bunch. You had, you had to get that in. You had to get that in. That's intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Good answer. Also, very good answer. Um, yeah, yeah, you do. You get a ding for that one. Scott, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. It was great to have you. Well-timed applause that time. Um, Thanks. It's I love been it. A pleasure. I don't know what just happened, but I love it. Um, yeah, th hopefully, thanks once again. Can, um, hopefully you can find 20 minutes of goodness in there. Well, that the, yeah, we'll, we'll see. The, we'll see. Yeah, what the probably caught a couple things. If not, we can come back. <laughs> if we if not, we can come back and talk more about Scott Wilson. There we go. By hey, the way, just uh, have a special Paul, not, special Scott Paul, Wilson you, episode. Yeah, you may not know this, Paul. I actually knew Scott Wilson before either of us worked at Bonneville Power. What's the story there? There's a story. I was. Let's a, end on a story. Let's end on a story. Okay. So I knew Scott Wilson down at Willamette University when I was a grad student um, in charge of one of the larger dorms. And I had an opening for a resident assistant. And Scott Wilson uh, was on the other side of campus. And I kind of knew who he was because he was involved in the dorm life on that side of campus. But I'd never really talked to him. And he came and applied on the job. And that's where I first met Scott Wilson. And... Um, you know, he had a lot going for him, and when I look back at that, uh, he had more going for him for him than I had ability to hire. I think he was way ahead of the curve, and I'm like, I can't get this guy. I can't see him doing this job. He's like like 10 steps ahead of where I, I am, for sure. So I didn't hire him. And then later, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. So my first encounter with Scott Wilson was not hiring him. What a mistake, right? If you look back over your career... Uh, you can't help but look down your list of things that you could have done better, you know, better decisions, whatever. That would be one of them. And Scott ended up at Bonneville. And uh, uh, one of the funnier stories was he came right out of undergrad. And I, I was almost 30 at the time. And Scott was almost 22, I think. And I don't know that he was shaving yet. And um, so when we ended up in the same department, um, we had two Scots, and so I just called him Scott Jr., and I called myself Scott Sr. Well, as, as Wilson matured, this is a true story. Wilson will back me up on this, I think. Um, as, as we both matured, um, Wilson matured with more gray hair than I did for some reason. People think I color my hair. I don't. I'm too lazy. Um, but, yeah, Wilson developed a bunch of gray hair. So we'd be riding the elevator, and my favorite thing would be to ask whoever hopped on the elevator because I'm pretty obnoxious. Hey, which of them? They'd say, hi, Scots. They'd be, you know, they think they're clever. Hi, Scots. And that's clever. It's funny, you know, and it doesn't get old after 10 years. Um, and so I would say, hey, which one of the Scots do you think's older? Well, at first it was simple. And then towards the end they're like, Wilson, of course. And uh, Wilson has told me recently, he says, I'd like to go back to the days where I was Scott Jr. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I, just want to close, I just want to close on this. I consider, well, I, consider, just, just... I consider Scott Wilson a good friend of mine, and I wish him well. 
What I enjoy most is using the past tense to describe he had a lot of good things going for him. Like, oh, yeah. come on. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. What a great compliment. Matt, picked you, up on that when one I too. first met you, when I first met you, Matt, you had a lot of, you had a lot of good, you had a lot of things going for you. And then you went to eWeb. Uh, you're going to get I me in trouble here, button. buddy. I love I it. The wrong that was good. Thank, thanks, Paul. Yeah, um, yeah that was, okay, that was, that was a good way to end. Scott is a nice guy. Yes, um, absolutely. But yeah, thanks thanks again for joining us. Uh, General Manager Co., you won't be hearing that for much longer. Um, <laughs> yeah, best of luck as you ride off into the sunset. My, my condolences to Todd. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, uh, I think with that, we'll, we'll hand it back to the underground for more news. Thanks to Matt and Scott for the delightful and insightful conversation. Our next regular episode will be recorded November 29, 2021 and published December 2nd. To make sure you don't miss it, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content and publicpowerunderground.substack.com. That's right. We have a Substack account. We're trendy. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Regular episodes have show notes with links to all the news articles that comes in the Substack newsletter. So you'll get it directly in your inbox. And if you find something when you're listening to the podcast app and you're like, oh, that's a really interesting article. And you go into the Apple Podcasts uh, show notes and it's like, there's no link in here. Where, how do I find the link to this fascinating article? You just go to publicpowerunderground.substack.com and you can find it there. That's where you can find it. You go on to publicpowerunderground.substack.com and you click on that link and it brings up that article that we were talking about because I tell you what, most of the articles do a much better job than what we do summarizing their own articles. That makes sense? It's great. You don't have to be subscribed to Newsdata to get this podcast, but it sure makes our podcast make a lot more sense. You'll get a lot of links to the Newsdata articles in our Substack page. And if you aren't subscribed, you get like three free ones, which is great. But also, you call up your boss and say, hey, boss, I want. Uh, do we have a subscription to Newsdata? Because it seems like really valuable news for public utilities. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, we do. Sign up here. And it's super easy. Or if they don't, you can tell your boss, hey, we need to get on this because Newsdata has great content, period. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Public Power Underground is a production of Klatskin IPUD and Newsdata. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, Newsdata, or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. It's written and directed by Klatskin IPUD's power department, led by me, Paul Dockery, and it's edited and published by the stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources, led by associate producer Sarah Wooden. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiasts, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Guillory and Ian Bledsoe. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch!